Yes, praise the Lord. I think I haven't spoken to most people about uh, um, what happened overseas, uh, in fact, me getting a bit sick. But um, just to let you know that we, uh, uh, Pastor Phil Haddad and myself, went over to Nepal and uh, we were able to spend some time with the people. We were able to get the leaders together and, uh, and spend some time with them. And, uh, you know, so uh, things are continuing. We'd like to see more revival. They had some revival, but uh, uh, just like a, a lot of situations where people don't keep coming. But uh, any rate, um, just to let you know, everything is continuing as before. And uh, the numbers, uh, probably between, if you put them all together, between about 200 and 230 people uh, over there in Nepal. Uh, that's in Kathmandu and then out in a number of country areas, um, um, particularly what an area called Chitwan or the Terai district. Uh, there's a few assemblies there. Uh, went up on top of a mountain and then uh, there's two newer assemblies from a place called Bookwell uh, where there's only one chap on his own but uh, just uh, recently another three people prayed to receive the Holy Spirit and another place right over on the border with India a place called Nepal Junj and uh, there they've got around about 50, 60 people and they're building a new hall uh, and that's in less than 18 months so uh, things are happening over there and we're, we're looking for more revival to take place. All right, let's have a look at the Word of God. That's the important thing we're here for today. Um, let's open up our Bibles in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. Luke, chapter 23, and verse 32. We read, uh, it's just a time, of course, of, uh, of Jesus Christ uh, being uh, crucified. And uh, we find that uh, Jesus is uh, being taken forth, but two others are with him. And uh, so we read here uh, in, in verse 32, and there were also two other malefactors led with him uh, to be put to death. So uh, Jesus was put among these uh, thieves and uh, robbers and murderers and uh, just treated like he was a, a straight-out criminal and a bad one at that. And when they were come to the place uh, which is called Calvary or in the, in the Hebrew Golgotha, they crucified him, the male malefactors, malefactors on one right hand and the other on the left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his garment, or his raiment, and they cast lots for it. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also uh, with them derided him. And they're saying things like he served, saved others, but he cannot save himself. If he be the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, and coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And the superinscription that was written over him in the letters of the Greek, Latin and Hebrew were the words, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, or had a go at him, had a go at Jesus himself. They said, If thou be Christ, save thyself. 
and us. So, of course, he's more worried about himself, I dare say, than what Christ was the problem. But the other answered, rebuked him, answering rebuked him, saying, Does that fear not fear God, seeing that thou are in the same <coughs> condemnation? We're all being subject to death. And we uh, indeed justly, for we received the due reward of our deeds, and they knew they were guilty. But this man has done nothing amiss. And said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus went on to say, uh, verily, verily, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And of course, uh, what well, is meaning, of course, we're both going to the grave. They weren't going to heaven. Jesus was in the grave for three days. That day he didn't go to heaven, as some people try and twist everything around. Uh, the word paradise means a park or a plot of ground, if you look up in the, in the concordance. But so many people are confused about what God's word is really saying. And it's a, a situation that we get faced every time we talk to people. <coughs> we won't know one thing. As the thieves were there on the cross, they're acknowledging they're wrong. But why was Jesus on the cross? Even they knew that Jesus was not guilty in any way at all. There was nothing that he'd done that warranted him being crucified and being put on a cross and left to die. But the Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah chapter 53 in verse 14 <coughs> that he was there to make intercession for the transgressors. He was there to act on our behalf, interceding. Why? Because we're transgressors. We transgress the law of God in just so many ways. There's none perfect. We're all weak through the flesh. We can't live by God's commandments, particularly the Old Testament. We cannot live by because the law's perfect and we're very imperfect. And so Jesus was there to make intercession, to act for us, for the wrong that we have done, not his own wrong. In the book of Romans in chapter 8, it tells us similar words where it says, who is even talking about Jesus Christ in verse 34 on the right hand of God. He's on God's right hand who also maketh intercession for us. So this was, of course, the fact that we were sinners and that we we're short of the glory of God and that man, even the Jews, kept offering up sacrifices that were only able to temporarily take away the sin of the people. And then they go back out and they'd sin again. Our transgressions and our sins have separated us from God. The Bible makes it very clear. And as King David wrote in the book of Psalms, Psalm 51, he said about our transgressions and our sin, he says, they're ever before me. I just don't seem to be able to escape in the natural doing wrong things, the transgression and the sins that I do. I know they're not right before my God. I always remember a pastor in Melbourne years ago, he used to have a saying and always used to make me smile. He says, the trouble is we're dead in our socks. I don't know what he quite meant, but I knew it meant that we're dead. But uh, we had no hope for the future. But that was his little form of expression. But I want to go back to verse 34 or just a little bit later then, and um, where we see that the Lord 
was there. I was looking in the wrong chapter. That's why it didn't look quite right. <laughs> um, and, uh, and of course, uh, the point I want to make, just find the scripture I was looking for just then. Um, Verse 34 is correct, but it was in chapter 23. I did look in chapter 24. But the point of the matter was that what Jesus said in verse 34 answers the question. He said to his father, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus knew what the problem was with man and that he wanted God to forgive them for their sins and their iniquities and their wrongdoings and the things that they were doing that didn't please God. And so what we need, very clearly from the word of God, is that we need God's forgiveness. In general, man is so far in darkness that he doesn't know what's right and what's wrong, and we're in that same boat. The love of God was there on the cross of Calvary. And for many of us, we wonder why he allowed himself to be crucified when the Bible says he could have called 10,000 angels and set himself free. Why is it that it's like that? But what we see is that what kept Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary was the love of God and the love for us. That Jesus Christ so loved the world that he gave himself to be crucified on the cross of Calvary. And so the love of God was to bring us to a point where we could be reconciled back to God. His answer, his action was able to bring us into the house of God forever that we might live forever. The concept that the creator, the God that created the heavens and the earth is concerned about man just a little part of his creation but he loved him so much he loved man so much that he knew that the only way was to offer up a sacrifice that he would accept and that's why Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross of Calvary for us yet for all that to achieve what Jesus wanted to achieve was something that he had to go through to demonstrate without any doubt at all how much God loved us, how much God's Son would be tested. And we know that before he went to the cross, that Jesus was severely beaten. He was put upon the whipping post there. And the Bible tells us that he was brought to the point where his visage was marred beyond that of any man. He was just took so much upon himself in that moment of time that he was in pain, he was in agony. Everything about him was a man that was defeated and broken down. And he then had to carry the cross that was to take him and to take away his life as he was nailed upon it. And yet despite all this weakness, the words that Jesus spoke there is forgive them for they know not what they do. And it was a very true statement. Man sitting there watching it, even his own disciples, still didn't understand 
what Jesus was trying to achieve for them. They were losing their Lord. They were losing their master. They didn't understand he was forgiving their sins and their transgressions and the things that they'd done so wrong by God. And he wanted to reconcile us back to God by offering himself as that perfect sacrifice. And yet today, one of the hardest things we find to do is to forgive, to forgive one another. People that come against us and we rise up and we get upset and say, I'm not going to forgive them for what they've done to me. But what did Jesus do for you? You ever be able to repay him for what he's done for you? You know, there's a little quote that I read that says, he who can't forgive others destroys the, the bridge over which he himself must pass. If you can't forgive others, the Bible says God can't forgive you. It's so important to understand what Jesus says, forgive them for they know not what they do. They don't understand. Man didn't understand. Another little quote I was reading about is that forgiveness is my relinquishing of my rights to hurt back. Have a go back. Isn't this the way of the world? Look at what happens time and time again on our televisions. I was just looking at a little thing on the news the other night where they're just so concerned about the violence in school where two or three girls are ganging up on another one, they're pulling their hair, they're punching, they're kicking, uh, things that just you'd almost think were uncivilised. But there they are. They don't understand forgiveness. All they want to do is hurt someone else. There's a little story I read about a, a woman that came to the pastor and she could be like many of us, really, I suppose, in a sense, because uh, she went there because she'd been wronged by other people. And when she went there, she, she was talking about how she'd been snubbed and how she'd been avoided by others, whether it was real or imagined, it doesn't matter. That's how she felt. And the pastor was sympathetic to her, but realised she, too, had to learn to forgive. And so he just asked her a little simple question. He said to her, has anyone spat on you yet? And she was horrified. She's indignant. She said, no, no no one spat upon me. A bit shocked. And the pastor turned around and simply said to her, they spat on Jesus, your saviour. They spat on him. And all of a sudden she stopped and thought about the point. She started to realise that what she had suffered was nothing compared to what Christ had done for her. And it changed her attitude. What happened is she learnt the very important lesson that sometimes we've got to learn to forgive others that may offend us or something they say about us. She had to realise that. And so that simple question as he spat on you it seems ridiculous touched the heart and touched the mind she was able to forgive it says for Christ's sake they had the problem 
and not her. Moody, a Bible commentator, once wrote, there's two ways to cover our sins. There's man's ways and there's God's ways. If you seek to hide your sins, he says sometime they'll have a resurrection. They'll come back and they'll bite you. But if you let the Lord cover your sins, neither the devil or man will be able to find those sins because they're hidden in Christ. Let's have a look in Psalm 133. Psalm 133. The well-known little psalm with wonderful words. David writes here of the benefit of the saints communing with each other as one. We read in verse 3, he says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the, uh, the beard, even Aaron's beard. They went down to the skirts of his garments. And as the Jew of Hermon, and as the Jew that descendeth upon the mountain of Zion, for there the Lord commandeth the blessing, even life forevermore. And what that here that David is talking about is our fellowship one with the other. He's talking about the very good and important thing that we as brethren should do, and that's to dwell together in unity. We should be united. It's easy to say to someone, oh, I forgive you, but if you're not dwelling in a state in which you're saying, I forgive you because you're my brother or my sister, and I love you as such, then we're not dwelling in the unity that God is speaking through his word. So what's the point of it all? What is the point? The point is that what God is interested is when the brethren dwell together in a state of unity, a complete unity through the Holy Spirit. He talked about Aaron, the high priest, and the precious anointing oil running down his head, into his beard, down his garments, right down the skirts to his feet. He's talking about the consecration of the whole of the body that has to be all clean. It had to be all right before God. And then he said it's just like the pure Jew that comes down from God, that comes upon the high mountains and Mount Zion being the place where the church is going to be when Jesus returns. And that as a result of it, there's going to be a blessing upon the mountain of God forevermore. And so we must dwell in a state of of unity and remember, it's not easy to say, I forgive you. But if we're not dwelling together in a unity and understand what our responsibility to each other in Christ is, how can we forget God to forgive us when we do something wrong? So let us remember 
that you mightn't understand why someone done something wrong to you. But remember, you're doing it as unto Christ. That's the important message. Let's have a look back in the New Testament in Luke chapter 17. In verse 1. It's talking here to the disciples about being very careful how we can become a stumbling block for one another in Christ. And it says, Then said he, Jesus, to the disciples, It's impossible, but the defences will come. Someone's going to upset us. We will be offended by what someone might say or do to us. The fences will come. But wonder him who through whom they come. In other words, they can put a stumbling block before us. It says, for if someone is deliberately causing an offence, it says it's better if they put a millstone that's hanged about his neck and he was cast into the sea than he should offend one of these little ones. One of the lambs of the fold of God should not be offended. And so Jesus said, take heed to yourselves. If a brother uh, trespass against thee, rebuke him or point it out if it's wrong. And if he repent, then you've got to forgive him. And if he trespass thee seven times in a day and seven times return unto thee saying, I'm repent or I'm sorry, thou shalt forgive him. And so, even though that there might be times in which people upset us, if they come and realise they're wrong, and say, I'm sorry what I did to you, and they mean it, they're repentant, then you've got to forgive them, even if it happens seven times in one day. It's so easy to say, I forgive you, as I've made the point before, but if we're not dwelling together in unity and understanding What's the point? In verse 2, it talks, talks uh, there in that it's better that if you're not going to do the right thing by your brethren that you should sort of put a, a rope around your neck with a big stone and fall into the deep because that's the reward that you're ultimately going to get at that particular time. So we've got to avoid occasions of offence offense under our brothers in the Lord to be uh, better because God's got a high expectation of us. And of course, in verse 5, the apostles, when they heard this, that they had to forgive someone seven times in a day, they just turned around and they said, Lord, increase our faith. It just doesn't come natural, does it, to keep on forgiving people? But that's the answer the Lord gave increase our faith. And so forgiveness is not just saying the words, as I've said it before, that I forgive. And then stay away from that person either. Oh, look, I forgive you, but I don't want anything to do with you. Forgiveness is about bringing about a unity with that person so that you might dwell together in a total state of harmony. That's the principle of the Bible. Let's have a look in Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 14. 
There's a scripture here. It says, follow peace with all men and holiness which, with, without which no man shall see the Lord. What it's telling us is that we need to have peace with God. And we know we can easily offend others. And we have to put up with it as many times as seven times a day. But if you want to please God, you've got to walk in peace with God. That means you have to walk in the spirit. And you have to first be in the gospel. You have to be born again. If you're not here today, we do encourage you. That unless you're born of water and the spirit, the Bible says you will not see and you will not enter the kingdom of God. And it's when you receive the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in John 14, that's when the peace of God comes into your life. It says, my peace give I unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. A peace that passes all the natural understanding. So when we've got some difficulties in our life and we can easily offend others, the word of God says we've got to be a doer of the word. We've got to look into the mirror. We've got to look into the word of God which is the mirror, and see what it reflects for you. When you look at this word and you read this word like a gigantic mirror coming back at you, it's important to see how you see yourself in Christ, whether you're really displaying to others the image that you see in the word of God. You know, if we can lay to our hearts the things we need to attend to, Maybe the need to forgive others by changing our attitude to them, even if they've affected us. That's reflecting what God wants you to reflect in your life as the word of God is there as a reflection of what God wants you to be. So there's a great warning here to be connected to God or will fail. Let's have a look in the book of Philemon, just before the book of Hebrews. And if there's ever an example of forgiveness, it's in this story. I think it was referred to down at camp. But I want to just go through the story and then make just a few points as well. We read in verse 1 that Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, and under Philemon, our dearly beloved and our fellow labourer. And to our uh, beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and our Lord, of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always making mention of you, always in my prayers hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast towards the Lord Jesus and towards all saints, that the communication of thy faith has become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. It says, For we have a great joy and a consolation in thy love because of the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. And wherefore... Though I might be uh, much bold in Christ to enjoin unto thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech you 
as being one Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And I beseech thee for my son, Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, in which time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receiving, uh, that is, mine own uh, bowels, whom I have uh, retained with me, in that in thy stead he might minister unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind, or without thy mind, I could not do nothing. And thy benefit should not be, as it were, of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that he, thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now as a servant, but a brother's servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, and how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he wrong thee, and oweth thou thee ought, put that on mine account. And I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say unto thee how that thou owest me even thine own self beside. Yes, brother, let me have the joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord, having confidence in thy obedience, and I write unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But withdraw all, but withal, prepare me also for a lodging, that I might trust through your prayers that I shall be given unto you, or I able to come and see you. And they salute thee, Ephesus, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, and Lucas, my fellow labourers, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is with your spirit. Amen. And I thought it was just easy to read it through to start with, but the principle we're really wanting to bring out here is it's just a wonderful story of forgiveness. Philemon was a man of God without any shadow of a doubt at all, and that he was very faithful. He led the church. He looked after his people well in every way. But he had a man that worked for him, a slave, Anisimus. And Anisimus left his father, his master's house, and he ran away. He got himself into trouble. He ended up in prison. And he ended up in a prison with Paul in Rome. And that's where Philemon found out where he was. And so Paul wrote Philemon this letter. But what he knew more than anything else, here were two brothers now. Because Onesimus had become a brother in Christ in prison. He used to minister even the gospel to Paul when he was needed to. He was able to be a testimony to all the other prisoners. But he knew the one thing that had to be brought out was forgiveness and a unity for these two men, for Philemon and Onesimus, brothers in Christ. They had to forgive and they had to be healing. And Paul impressed upon Philemon 
about the unity they all had now with Jesus Christ. And he said that Onesimus was like a son, that in prison there he looked after him so well. But he said to him, if I've in any way this man owes you a lot of things, the money or goods or work or whatever it is, lad to my charge, I'll repay everything that he owes you. But what I want you to do is forgive him and make him a full brother in Jesus Christ in your eyes. And so the forgiveness is a wonderful attitude to adopt in Christ. The forgiveness that Jesus Christ spoke about and the unity that he had with his father, that he wants to have in a unity with you and I in the church. He wants us to learn to forgive and forget when we're offended. He wants us to learn that what Jesus did was to forgive us and therefore we can forgive others. He wants us to understand what he meant when he talked about forgiveness. Forgive them for they know not what do they do? And he said, if we can do that, he says, by this shall all men know that you belong to me if you love one another. And all the people said, Amen.